Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for your love and mercy. We thank you, Lord, for not giving us what we deserve, but giving us what your dear son deserves. We ask, Lord, that as we are going into this next session of training and understanding the plan that you have for evangelism, we ask that you give us wisdom that, that is beyond our years. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so yesterday in the afternoon we talked about evangelism and the idea of an outpost center, okay? Um, but before I go too deeply into that idea again, if you have an outpost center, a center that is outside of the city, uh, it will consist of families, consist of people who have to get along. Um, and I, I speak with a smile on my face, but in reality, it is a, a crying shame and a pity that there are very few outpost centers functioning at a high level in this country of the United States of America where we have all this wealth and affluence and ingenuity, um, but things aren't working. I, I live currently on a piece of property it has 169 acres. There's a mansion on the property. There is a warehouse on the property. There is a two trailer homes on the property, a white house and a blue house. The blue house is where our school is. And every building that I said to you, the mansion is a complete dilap dilapidation, the, the, whatever you know that word is. It's down. The warehouse, roof, caved in there's supplies for a kitchen I mean a full commercial kitchen rodents live in that now mold on it um, it's a sad and cautionary tale for me every morning I wake up if I go outside and I look to my left e immediately what I see is this broke down mansion. And I ask myself the question, how did this place that used to have a publishing press, used to have sanitarium work, that used to have a school, that used to have uh, a restaurant, how did this place come to nothing? That's essentially what's happened. It's, it's essentially nothing right now. And if you trace it back to the origins of the problem, it's right here. Family. People did not know how to get along. They did not know how to solve conflict. If you don't know how to solve conflict, how are you going to get along? If, some, if you don't agree with somebody, how do you deal with that? You have a theological difference with somebody, how do you deal with that theological difference? They had those problems on that mountain. Somebody's children are acting up. They're not your children. But those children are acting up. How do you deal with the other person's children? They're not your blood children. How do you deal with those things? Before you start thinking about an outpost center, you got to figure out how to deal with your family. So, real quickly, husband and wife get in an argument. If the husband goes to his best friend and tells his best friend about the argument that he had between his wife and him, what happens to that relationship? It has been violated. Sister White calls... The family 
She calls it the family firm, and she also calls it the family circle. Now, a circle has no outs in it. It's complete and total in and of itself. It is a circle. No one gets in, and no one gets out. Amen. It's a circle. It's a complete whole. If I have a problem here, I need to go to her. What biblical, what biblical passage talks about this principle? That I, if I have a problem with someone, I go to that person. What biblical passage is that? Matthew chapter 18. If I, have a, if I have a problem with a brother or sister, instead of me talking about the brother behind his back, I need to go to my brother and say, look, bro, um, this is what I see is a problem. And then what happens is in that honest discussion, more often than not, if it's honest, the brother will say, oh, man, I really misunderstood you. My bad for coming at you that way. No problem, brother. Boom. And there's no, no, the brother is not lost. But if I go and I'm already talking behind the brother's back, then I go to the brother after I've talked behind his back, da, 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 I squash it, but then I've left this out here. So now this person has the problem that I gave them based on my understanding of what it was, and now this person is going around, and then when they see this person, they don't even understand why. I don't know why she got beef with me. Why, why she got beef? I didn't do nothing to her. So now the problem multiplies. It gets bigger. You understand what I'm saying? And so now if this person doesn't know how to do Matthew 18, then this person goes talk to somebody else about this person while I'm scot-free because, I, you know, I, I did my part as far as I'm concerned. We're, we're cool. And then he'll come back and tell me, I don't know why so-and-so's mad at you. And I'm thinking, I don't know why she's mad at you either. I didn't, she ain't did nothing there. All right? So this is, this is the, to me, as I've been at my school and I've watched people and I've been in churches and I've watched churches, that's the main problem. Too much talking. People talking behind each other's back. Too much gossiping. Trying to get people on your side about an issue. That's a problem. It's a problem in the church. It's a problem in the family. If a wife is going to her mother talking about me behind my back, the mother's all mad at he's going to be on her side and say, why don't you just leave that bad boy? Why don't you leave him? He don't, he's no good for you anyway. And then it's just in her ear, and then I'm trying to solve a problem, and she's in her mind. I don't even know where it's coming from, you know? So you have to be able to resolve the issues within that circle. At the mission, because we understand this principle, whatever happens to me and my wife, I don't tell anybody. Nobody. It doesn't mean everything's perfect, but nobody knows about anything. It's between me and her. It's squashed right here. If I have a problem with her, it's right here. You understand what I'm saying? And so outside of that, Lance and his wife, they have to handle those things between each other because that's the other family. We're two families working together to carry forward the work. So between that two families, they handle their problems. And then when we have a staff meeting and we have a problem with the staff family, that problem stays right there in the staff family. The staff family is not going to call somebody else in another ministry and start talking mess about what's going on in staff right here. Everything stays in-house unless, you know, there's been an extreme violation and the person is unrepentant. Then what happens, what's, what does Matthew 18 tell you to do if the person is unrepentant? They won't hear your way. What, what? Take another person with you. So, again, you're still try, trying to keep it as private as possible. You're not trying to make it go out there yet. You're just trying to keep it as private as possible. So if I have a problem with my wife, we have previously discussed who the one 
or two families, and we, we don't get counsel from single people, amen, for our marriage. Not for our marriage. Not unless we just know the person is just full of the Holy Ghost and they just, you know. But for the most part, we'll look to another family that we respect that hold the same values, the same principles, the same standards, and then we might bring them to the discussion. We have never done that. Okay, we have never brought anybody else to solve a problem between me and her. It's been a temptation because I'm like, she's stubborn. And then she's like, he's stubborn. And then we're both stubborn. But the Lord humbles our hearts and we get it together, right? But there's a predetermined person or group that we agree upon that before I go to that person, I'll tell her, sweetie, I'm going to call so-and-so. And she'd be like, no, you ain't. And I'll say, okay, well, we ain't. So let's talk some more. Well, vice versa. And it's agreed upon that we're going to go talk to said person and bring them into the mix to try to solve the problem. If that doesn't work, the next step is the worst step, you know, bringing in a legal system, bringing in someone bigger than us. But we're not looking for that. You follow what I'm saying? All right? What you're looking to do is keep everything in-house, solve the problems in-house. If you don't learn this principle, running a school or a sanitarium or outpost is going to be completely impossible. Because you're dealing with people. You might think you want to evangelize the world, but you're not going to be able to evangelize the world if the home has not been evangelized. Does everybody understand that idea? I mean, it, to me, it's the most. If I had known, if I had known how hard it was to run a school, I probably wouldn't have started it. People come from everywhere with all sorts of baggage. It is amazing. And then when it comes at you, you're like, wow, where did I come from? Okay, Lord, this is in my plate right now. How do I deal with this person? And it's a constant. Imagine now, you know, you might get sick once a year. Imagine having 23 people. Everybody's getting sick once a year. You follow what I'm saying? Everything's multiplied. Everything's compounded. In order to be able to handle something that's compounded and multiplied where they're not being paid. You understand? So everybody's has this volunteer mentality. You live in the same place. You don't get to go to separate quarters. You have to learn how to deal with that. See, we live in the same place. I'm not going to ever go sleep on the couch. It's not acceptable. I tried it once. Tried to go sleep on the couch. <laughs> and I said, this is not, this is not going to work. And I came right back to bed. It's, it doesn't work. It's sleeping on the couch is unacceptable. And the same thing in ministry. You're not going to be able to work with people closely at the level that you need to work with them to have an effect in the community that you need to have if constantly you're separate from each other. You're not, you're not bleeding with each other. You don't see each other's warts. The more closely you work with somebody, the more you see... They're real, you know, features. <laughs> Things don't, you know, it's no longer, a, uh, it's, it's no longer the euphoria. It's, it's, it's real. You see them. So you got to deal with them, the people, the person. And we're so used to being so cut off as a society. I think Satan arranged it this way. That all, all ministries and everybody lives in separate houses. I just don't get it. Why would you pay $400,000 to live in a house with only two people in it? It doesn't make any sense. You can have missionaries in that house. 
But the only way to have missionaries in the house, you got to be willing to deal with everybody's brain. Isn't they crazy? Everybody's crazy. <laughs> there has to be that level of being willing to share, to being willing to compromise. You have to have order. Does that make sense what I'm saying? I'm just being real practical with you. I'm not trying to be philosophical. I'm not trying to be, I'm just saying, I'm talking from my real experience. You can't have a ministry without having a unit. And that unit is not magically put together. It's real simple. What you saw right there is the very core of what makes up the family. It's that family worship, that prayer, that time spent together before the Lord. All right, just, I'm going to run through the schedule at the school. So you can see kind of like how an outpost works. Okay, an outpost kind of works. Of course, I wake up anywhere between 4 and 5 in the morning. Okay, that's my personal time. I'm not required to see anybody um, until we have family worship at 7.30. The school, the missionaries, have exercise at 6 in the morning. So all the missionaries get up. You're outside, stretching, you know, getting that, you know, health is part of the message. You guys know that, right? All right. So 6 o'clock, we have our a little exercise situation going on. At 7.30, I have my family worship. 9 o'clock, we have the big family worship. And that's when the, all the missionaries come together. So I have family worship with my family, then I have family worship with the missionaries. And then we have 9.30 is breakfast. And then 11 is the first class. And then we have class from 11 to, to 2.50. So this is a, um, a general schedule. And then we have dinner at 3.30. And then after this, it's a myriad of things. They can either do uh, outreach or they're doing study. It, is, it depends what day it is. All right? So each missionary is required in their day. The day for the average missionary ends around 8 p.m. as far as being out. So they might, they stop working at 8. We live 20 minutes from the first city. Um, so they'll probably get home at 8.30. Then they'll debrief, take about 10 minutes, fill out their report, all their Bible contacts, all the books they sold, all the free literature they gave away. We keep track of all that. So by 9 o'clock, they can just chill if they want to chill, if that's what they want to do, if they want to relax. So by 9 o'clock, they're toning it down, relaxing, get ready for bed, and we try to get the lights out by 10. Some people go to bed at 9.30. You know, but we try not to let anybody stay up past 10 um, because people, people get weird uh, if, they, if they don't sleep. Uh, so the reason why I'm, I put this here, this is the structure. This is what I call order. When that, when that order is followed, very little negatives can come into the program. But when the order is not followed, when someone says, oh, I want to stay up late, so they stay up late. And then the next day they might not feel it, but the day after they feel it, and then when they miss exercise, or they then they can't function well, and they're waking up late, and then they have devotions late, and then they come to family worship late, and then they make breakfast late. You know, all those things, everything has a has a spiral effect on one and the other thing. So there's a structure. You have to have structure. 
if you're going to have an outpost or anything. Uh, you have to have order. In fact, I want to read this to you. This is from uh, Adventist Home, page 20, paragraph 1. Now listen to this. I thought this was very neat. It says, the work to be done in a Christian home, the first work to be done in a Christian home, the first work to be done in a Christian home is to see that the spirit of Christ abides there. That every member of the household may be able to take his cross and follow where Jesus leads the way. It says the first work of the Christian is to be united in the family. Then the work is to extend to their neighbors nigh and afar off. Those who have received the light are to let the light shine forth in clear rays. Their words, fragrant with the love of Christ, are to be a savor of life unto life. The more closely the members of a family are united in their work in the home, the more uplifting and helpful will be the influence that the father and mother and sons and daughters will exert outside of the home. Work united in the home translates into united work outside the home. Real simple idea, I know. It's not deep, I know. I'll give you some examples. Everybody has chores at the mission. Um, there's a group that don't go to exercise twice a week. They get up at 5.30. They make breakfast and lunch from the missionaries. They make breakfast and lunch from 5.30 to 9 o'clock until worship. So from 5.30 to 9, the missionaries are in the kitchen cooking, preparing other people's food. Now, simultaneous with that, the other missionaries, when they finish exercising, they have from 7, because exercise is till 7 o'clock, they have from 7 to 9 either to do chores or personal devotion. But in that time frame, when that's over, when breakfast is over, there's the house. They got to take care of the garden. They got to take care of the, the common areas. They got to sweep the floors. They got to make sure the rooms are clean. All those little chores that we give them show whether or not they're really, really willing to do missionary work outside the house. You understand what I'm saying? It's those small things. If I say to a missionary, um, please clean your room, and that missionary says, well, I don't want to clean my room, he's not ready to go do missionary work. If I say to that missionary, why don't you go get that broom and sweep the, the front porch, and he says, well, I don't want to do the front porch. I do the front porch all the time. Well, what have the other missionaries been doing? Well, they've been slaving in the kitchen. They made his meal. They prepped his food. But he doesn't want to do the front porch? He's not ready to go do missionary work. Do you understand the idea? Missionary work is first in the house, sweeping the floor. That's missionary work. That's evangelism. That's the, that's the highest form of evangelism right there. Sweep that floor. Get that scrubber. Go clean the bathroom. All right, get that scrub clean the bathroom. How do you clean the bathroom? When you clean that bathroom, when you leave that bathroom, is it spick and span? Is it clean? Or did you just go in there, spray some Windex on it, and then there's streaks all on the, on the mirror? Oh, that, you're not ready for missionary work. Because if you're going to treat the mirror that way, I dare say the soul that you think you're ministering to is going to have all sorts of streaks in it. It's the little things that qualify a missionary to be a missionary. You follow what I'm saying? I remember when I was little, my, my, uh, my father, uh, and I love him for this. This I love my father for. He would um, go in the kitchen, and 
and he found a dirty fork one time. He found that fork. He saw something in the inside of the fork. He said, Andre, come here. So I came. He said, you see this fork? And I didn't understand at the time what he was talking about. He said, you see this fork? He said, I said, yes, Dad. He said, uh, this is your life. <laughs> so like, the fork is my life. Like, what are you talking about? This is your life, he said. He says, so I want you to take care of your life much better than this. He said, I want you to take every dish out of the cabinets. I want you to wash everything again. I said, man, that's hard. But you know what? There was never a dirty fork ever again under my watch. You follow what I'm saying? Never again did I ever have another dirty fork in that kitchen because I didn't want to wash every single solitary dish over again. When I wash dishes, I would take that dish, I'll hold it up to the light, make sure there's nothing in there, put that thing in the cabinet. Everything I took care of, that detail, that specific, because I didn't know that this would affect how my life would run later, but I just did it because I didn't want to have to wash every dish over again. This is your life. And my dad was profound when he said that. I don't know how, I don't even think he remembers him, him doing that. Right? But it changed, it changed my life. It changed how I function. So in the smallest things that you do, as you take care of them in their detailed manner, it tells whether or not you're really ready to do missionary work. Everybody must carry their weight. When we're, when di- when we're done doing breakfast, even though the missionaries have their chores, I say, Naisha, go get the broom. Naisha goes, gets the broom. Sweep the floor, baby. And she'll go in there. Sometimes she'll do a real thorough job. Other times she'll go in there and she'll have washed the table. I said, baby, you didn't wash that table. Let's go back again. You know, and I'll help her reach where she couldn't reach before, and we'll get it clean. And I'll say, this is what it means to be clean. And I'll teach her. You show her the thoroughness in your preparation tells of your character. Okay, that's fine. All right, so this is the family firm, the family circle. Out of my little family, we started with four, myself, my bride, and two other young people. There was four of us. We now have a school. Started with four. Now we have a school. Staff, students, we have a school program. In that school program, i just tell you what we're developing. What we have is the school itself. All right? We have the school. Now watch. Out of this, we've developed a health wing called the Health and Lifestyle Education Institute. So we approach the community with the Health and Lifestyle Education Institute. We don't approach the community as a school. Now, if they ask where you go to school, we say, well, our school is there, but we approach the community as we're the Health and Lifestyle Education Institute. We're promoting health and happiness in the community, blah, 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 and we have our little survey that we fill out. We also have, and we're developing, this is the, actually the first ministry, TFT. This is True for Today Youth Ministries. That's the preaching, media, all that stuff um, there. We put our publishing department under here. This is where all our canvassing goes. This is all our, our missionary canvassers go under here. Our medical missionaries, that's what MM means, medical missionaries. Our medical missionaries go under here. All right? So this is our, this is our team. This is our group. This is our three prongs right now. We're developing our... Industrial arm. 
that's taking a little bit more time because I grew up in, you know, in suburbia in the city, so I don't know nothing about nothing. I, I do know about the school because I went to a training school, and that's what I learned principles from that school. I started this myself, incorporated it myself, started preaching and teaching myself, going to different churches and training churches. And then this one we developed as we were at the school because my, my buddy Lance is a health master, and so we've developed this to replace health and life, um, home health education service. So we have our own health and life education institute. And so we are going to, we're using this to impact the community with health. This is, our main, this is our main arm for the community right here. This is our main arm. The prophet tells us that we should develop into small bands. And she says, give your bands names. That's what she says to do. She says to do that. It's very, she's very smart, she is. <laughs> so we have this health arm. What we do with this health arm, we have health expos. We do, we do door-to-door life consultations. We do door-to-door cooking schools. Y'all never heard of that, huh? We do in-home cooking schools for the people. So the people, we go to door to hey, with the Health and Lifestyle Education Institute, there's a couple of things that we're trying to do in the community. We have the lifestyle consultation, which includes blah, blah, blah. We also have in-home cooking schools. We'll come into your home. We'll demonstrate for you and your family how to do vegetarian cooking. Boom. And we've been in several homes now, and we've done it, and it's been very successful. The people have been very open to it. We do public cooking schools. Of course, we invite everyone to those. And we also do, uh, uh, what do you call that? Did I say? I said health expos. We do health seminars. So all that, we work in concert. And what we do, we plan a year, two years in advance. So right now, I already know what we're doing all summer, going into next year. And I'm already beginning next year's plans. But I know things will you know, happen. You make adjustments here and there. But we're far-reaching in our plans. We're not satisfied. I want all of the Northeast. And then New York City. Then I want the world. Okay? Yeah. You know, it just needs to blossom and to grow until the work is being carried forward in a, in a great way. But you can't do all of these things individually. That's why I said yesterday, it's best if you guys get into teams. Some of you have gifts to go door to door. Others, you don't have that gift. Others have gifts in cooking. Others don't have that gift. So you want to use the gifts and abilities in their proper places so the work can get carried forward. I know where my, my gifts generally lie. I'm right here, you know, as a teacher, and right here, as a preacher. Here, I'm learning this one right here. This is, this is hard for me because I wasn't trained. So this is more arduous for me to sit there and work on my hands and so forth and so on. But these, these all work together. They work as a unit. You can't do it by yourself. So if you have, like your GYC, you guys know this already. You guys have your meetings, but you have to move it to another level. All of L.A. Oh, one other thought. Under the Health and Lifestyle Education Institute, we're, we're playing with the idea of having a vegan restaurant. All right, we're playing with the idea. Uh, there needs to be vegan restaurants. I don't know. You guys, you, how can there not be an Adventist vegan restaurant in this place? I, it doesn't make it. It doesn't make it. No, I don't understand. There should be a vegan Adventist restaurant in this place. I'm talking to somebody. Somebody's hearing me. You need to have a restaurant in this place. 
There's no reason why I shouldn't be one. It doesn't make any sense not to have one. You should start planning to have a restaurant. So you work the cities from outposts, but then you have an impost. So your impost would be the churches, sorry, churches, your restaurants, I'm not spelling that right, treatment rooms. Maybe you have like a, uh, I don't know, a thrift store or something like that. But those things that you have in the city. But your main, your main operations out here, you need to establish this out here. Out here, your agriculture, your food, your food needs to come. You need to be providing all these things. Your sanitarium, your school needs to have food. You need to be producing your own food. If you're not producing your own food, where are you getting your food from? From the city? You're buying it from people? You need to get you some heirloom seeds. Are you one of them? These heirloom seeds, they, you, your plant will grow, and it produces a seed that will produce another seed. You don't need Monsanto seeds. All right? Those are, those are like Terminator seeds. You don't want Terminator seeds. You want some heirloom seeds, seeds that produce, and you want to start creating. See, I'm just sharing, I'm sharing with you my vision, right? I was thinking about Joseph, Joseph in the final crisis. Do you know that Joseph had a storehouse worth of food? to process for seven years during the crisis, why aren't we having storehouses? Because the Mormons are? <laughs> two Storehouses on two fronts. And I'm not saying that storehouses will not get you through the great time of trouble. Everybody knows that, right? Because they're going to come and steal your stuff. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you should have a storehouse for the little time of trouble where you have canned goods that you set up yourself. You guys know how to do canning? Some of you know, all right. You need to learn how to do some canning. Start storing up your stuff, label it, put it up there, have it in a nice organized system as far as food is concerned. You also need to start ha having a warehouse of books. Do you, do you think that you're still going to have, when, when the Sunday law comes, do you think the, the Review and Herald and Pacific Press are going to be allowed to pr keep printing? I think they're going to shut that down. You need to have... A storehouse of books. Do you think the trucks are going to be able to drive, all, drive your stuff all the way up to where your, your outpost is and drop it off for you? That's not how it's going to go down. You need to be thinking. You need to start buying a box of books a month. Just start buying a box of books. Storing it up. Having a box of books. You're getting ready for battle. You're getting ready for war. So get your literature. Get your DVDs. Start buying stuff. Start stacking it up, getting ready. Get the family ready for the crisis. Tell Niaja all the time, if they take mommy and daddy away, what are you going to do? You've got to be faithful to Jesus. Right? You prepare. You start getting them to think. We're not here much longer. We're not here much longer. So my family and everything we do is in reality trying to prepare for what is coming upon the world. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause here for a moment. Any questions? Uh, Daniel Revelation, we have Daniel Revelation class, we have Sanctuary class, we have Personal Evangelism class, we have Health and Lifestyle Sciences class, and we have Discipleship. Those are the five core classes. And then you have the ancillary classes, which are hydrotherapy, massage therapy, uh, food preparation, uh, you have garden, the garden. 
It's a, it's a whole litany of them. Go to themissionistforlife.org. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we have five, five staff at this point. We have five staff at this point. And staff, I, don't, I use the word staff so people can relate to it, but it's really our families, the heads of our families. So myself and Lance are the two fathers, and then our wives, the two mothers, and then we have one of the students that we've kind of trained and he's, he's the, the guy's dean, so he's been part of the family for a minute. So he's really big brother, you know? So there's five of us at this point. And, uh, yeah. That's very smart. That's why I said it's just a thought in my mind. That's a good idea. Um, I'll, I'll talk to Lance about that. That's his, he and his bride's department for that. But we want to open one up. Uh, Culinary school. Okay. I like that. I like that. I like that. So you guys are opening one up soon? Very good. Very good. Any other question? Everybody's all right. It's clear. All right, let's go knock on some doors. No. <laughs> yes, go ahead. I'm in the same line with what you're talking about. Just as far as um, country living, I know you mentioned it yesterday. Um, as far as how he started, and he really told me, he said, stop going to the store every day. He said, try to do it once a week. That was important. And it was a struggle at first, because I'm like, we're really, we're not going to do this. It's like, I need fresh produce. But... <laughs> stack up some things so in case like uh, Wednesday to Wednesday um, if we don't have enough by that time we still have some backup food in the house that we could miss some days of shopping so that's an important thing is to start um, living like you're living in the country now even though you're not in the country but do things to prepare and that was the small thing the once a week thing we want to get to the point where we're not shopping. You understand what I'm saying? Like once a month, maybe, we need to go to town to purchase something from the town. But if we are running the outpost properly, we are producing. And if you're a producer, you're not a consumer. The more you produce, the more you're more after the nature of how God functions, how the angels function. Producers can serve. Consumers don't serve. You guys heard us that? It's real simple, but you want to learn to be a producer. You want to produce. If you can produce, you're producing where other people are. They're not doing anything. They're not. That's why people are making billions of dollars off of us lazy people. They're making lots and tons of money off of us lazy people. You don't think you can make your own shoes? But you, you and I go to the store and buy shoes. You could probably sit, if you thought about it for a little while, and say, you know what, I can make my own shoes. And they'd probably be better, better fitting for me than what they do over there in these other countries. We don't think. We don't, we don't. Have you ever thought, how did they make the bridges? Who came up with this idea to make those bridges across these huge, the, the, in Virginia, they have this huge bridge that goes over this water for miles and miles and miles. How did they make that? Who thought of that? Who thought of the airplane? Why is it that a seven-day event didn't create the airplane? What, what were we doing? 
We're thinking lowly here, you know? Let's think another level. Let's, let's go beyond. Let's ask God, Lord, help us to be producers and not mere consumers. And if we could do that, we'll be a service to the, service to the world. Any question, thought, feeling, concern, clarity, need it. She talks about easy access to a city. Um, the longest time, uh, there, was a, there was an estimate, horse and buggy from San Francisco to where her outpost was, was two hours by horse and buggy. So if you have a car, two hours from the city is not a bad thing. All right? It's kind of far. Two hours is kind of far. But um, we're 20 minutes, and we have 169 acres. So we're not surrounded by the city. Uh, but we're 20 minutes from the closest city, one hour, one hour from Manchester, which is the next largest city, one hour from Nashua, one hour from Fitchburg, two hours from Boston. So you have all these major cities that we can impact from where we are. Okay, so you want to place yourself in a situation where multiple places can, can be um, affected by your, by your ministry. Oh, that's, a, that's a nice question. Um, what you'll find, and you can't record, you can't tell my secrets, okay? This, all right, so I'm telling you guys my secrets. Uh, when I started Truth For Today, I was an associate publishing director for the conference. And, you know, I saw some problems in the publishing department. I said, well, you know, you guys are not going to make the adjustments that I suggested, so I'm going to resign. So I resigned from my position, and I started Truth For Today Youth Ministries, and when I started that ministry, uh, I organized a training program for churches where I would go to the church and train the churches how to knock on doors, like what we're going to do today, all right? I trained the church on how to do it. I set up a system for that church, and I had the church pay me to do it, okay? So as I, with the local churches, I asked them to pay me to train them on how to go out and do evangelism. And I just had friends amongst the two pastors there. And I contracted with both churches. One church paid me $1,800 a month, and the other church paid me $2,200 a month. So I took both those numbers, and I called some friends up. And I said, hey, guys, I have this much money per month. Would you guys be willing to come and work as a team in order to train these church members and do evangelism? And they said, sure. And so from that, we began to go to the churches and train the churches how to do Bible work, how to do canvassing. I'm a present truther, but I don't go in there and be like, drums, get out of the church. Throw this out of the, you know, that's silly. It's stupid. Okay? That's not how you make a change. Are you listening to me? So I connected with that church, and then I would start a little Bible study in the church. Church members would come to that Bible study, and I would teach them the truth. And then they say, well, if this is true, then why are we doing this? I'd be like, I don't know. I don't know. And the young people would start coming to the studies. And then from that group of young people, plus my little team that I already had, we were out there knocking on doors, and we're baptizing people. And the people are saying, man, what are they doing? That's a wonderful ministry. Praise God. But that was only one part of it. So now with that same model, I've connected it with the school. And we'll go to a church, and I'll go to the church and say, hey, look, um, Pastor, you have, four, you have a four-district um, you know, you have four churches in your district. 
And you know that pastor can't get to all those churches. So pastor, we're willing to help you out, man. So if you just give us a salary of one Bible worker, um, we'll be happy as a school to assist you and your church in generating more Bible study interest, and we'll train your church how to do medical missionary work and so forth and so on. And he said, oh, this is a steal. We get all you workers for one Bible worker's salary? And I said, yes, okay, so boom. So I get that one church, and I go to another church and do the same thing. Sir, one Bible worker's salary, you get to work with our school, we'll help train your members. Boom, so you have two, three churches that, now, actually, if I have one pastor, I have four churches. You listen to what I'm saying? I'll give you my secrets. You have to erase this. <laughs> if I have one pastor, I have four churches. If I have a second pastor, him, I have three churches. That means I have seven churches. Now, in those seven churches, I set up training for all the churches. I send my missionaries in there, some of them, not all of them, and myself and Lance will go to the churches and we'll train those churches to do evangelism. So now this summer, we've tr- we're training seven churches to do evangelism from our outpost center. And we're bringing in people from around the country this summer to learn how to do medical missionary work. So you have the church members, you have our outpost program, and you have people coming from all over the country, and we're going to systematically, in an organized fashion, with paper maps, Peter, paper maps, with paper maps, and we put them out there in a systematic way, and they're knocking on doors and meeting the people, causing a little revival in the area. And nobody knows what's happening, really. The people don't understand what's happening. I know what's happening. I see the providence of God that was transpiring. There's a small revolution taking place. And when, it's, when the people finally catch on to what's happening, it's already going to be flipped. It's already going to be something happening. The loud, loud cry is already going to be going forward. And people are going to be like, who, who are you guys? And I'm going to be disappeared by then, and there's somebody else running things. That's the goal. I don't want anybody to know my name. But yeah, that's, that's how we get the fellowship with the churches. That way, and then one other thing. The one other method that we use, and I've, we haven't implemented it as yet, but we have also a, a, a 30 training sessions that we'll do uh, once a weekend. So over 10 weekends, we'll do 30 training sessions. And by the end of that 30, training, 30 days or they'll get a certificate of medical missionary evangelism. So we haven't implemented it as yet, but we've laid the curriculum down. And so we'll, that's how we're going to get some of our missionaries when they leave us. They'll still have our name, and they can go to those churches and say, hey, we're part of the Health and Lifestyle Education Institute. Would you like to have at your church a training just for your members to learn how to do medical missionary work? And then over, that every student that signs up for that program has to pay, and then that money is used to support the person who set themselves up to do that particular ministry. So there's many ways to go about to do it. It's just a matter of sitting down and saying, okay, Lord, how do we execute now? What, what type of persons are already consecrated to the work? Who needs, well, so-and-so can't do the work because they're not consecrated yet. He's ready. Where do I send him? How do I set him up? Um, we've connected with another self-supporting work and in Triangle, New York. They have a lifestyle center, but they don't have leadership. They don't have good leadership. So one of our missionaries is already ready to go. So by the time August comes, he's out there with his, his bride, and they're going to go out there. And they know how to run the cooking schools. And they, know how, they, know how to do, they know how to do this part right here, this part right here. And he knows how to do this part right here. And the church or the, the, the lifestyle center already has a, a um, 
the lifestyle center there with their health food store. But they just don't know how to make evangelism and everything work together. And that's my, where my brother and my sister come in, and they're going to go down there and, and do that. So it's just, just different things happening. Yes, I'll take you. Uh, started with it definitely came as a process. I went to a school called George King Institute, which then was named Center for Professional Evangelism, which then was named Center for Personal Evangelism. So they were having issues themselves trying to figure out how to do it. So I went to that school and I saw the pattern of the school. I saw what the school was like. I saw where they were weak and where they were strong. So I took the pattern of the school. And I said, well, let me just adjust this because we don't need to teach so many classes. We, need to, we just need to teach one or two classes, emphasize those two classes, and then move to the next two classes. Let's not make it complicated. And so that's how I kind of... So you knew already that you wanted to be in the place? Yes. It was in my heart. The Lord put it in my heart to start a school. I just didn't understand what I was, what I was doing. <laughs> yeah, so... Yeah, and so I'll give you, give you an example. Um, before I even went to a to a school, I was in a canvassing program, like my sister, a canvassing. When you go canvassing, um, let me tell you, um, in 10 weeks' time, you have a whole year's worth of experience in 10 weeks. It's like this, it's like this compressed, intense life in that 10 weeks, and it changes everything about you. So in that 10-week time, you have to live with people, people get on your nerves, and so forth and so on. So in that process of when I, in the canvassing program, as I learned the dynamics, it's called group dynamics, as I learned people's personalities, what people, then I became a leader, and when I became a leader, I started learning. So the Lord was preparing me for this, for the school, before I even knew it, because that's what the canvassing program kind of taught me. How do you manage a bunch of crazy people and, <laughs> and get them to go out there and accomplish you know, missionary work. How do you get them to sell $100,000 worth of books in 10 weeks? You know, you have to figure that out. But you don't want to overemphasize money. You know, it just, there's a lot of things you have to balance out. So the Lord, in my process of my life, was training me for what I'm doing right now. Right now. Uh, it didn't just happen. So the canvassing program played a part. The school played a part. Going, being at, being at a regular university school, it played a part. It wasn't the best part, but it played a part in my process. And then finally, you know, we have the school now. But it started in my house, me and her. I had the curriculum in my house. I would have training in my house, me and her. So, sweetie, today we're going to be doing John 17, memorizing verses. Okay, we're going to go out and knock on doors, selling books. We lived off of selling books for a few months. Yeah, from where we live. Yes, sir. Just me and her and two other people. Yeah. It's a, it was a real, real experience. No, we don't have our own service. We go to a church. So we we don't want to be perceived we don't want to be perceived as an off, a crazy offshoot. So we go to the local churches. We assist them in their programs and so forth and so on. So all our baptisms, they come into local churches. We don't bring our baptisms into our own church. Cuz yeah. yeah. Any other questions? Canvassing 
you're going to do it today. <laughs> but canvassing is you go door to door. And you say, hi, my name is Andre. I'm with the Pasadena Seventh-day Adventist Church. In light of things that are happening in our world today, we're wondering if you have anything you'd like to pray about. So you're just going to the door and becoming friends with the people. That's canvassing. But in, in the truest sense, when we talk about canvassing in this context, we're talking about going to the door and selling a book. So if I go to the door, hi, my name is Andre, student working on the Scholarship Project here. Please look. This bestseller shows what's expected from global war and freedom. Your chapters of America from the world experience will come and soon come to Jesus. This book has a thousand better than the book of Revelation. It's, you know, you go through all that, and then you, you try to close them. In a bookstore, a set like this will cost. I mean, if you're having a book with us. And then you, you, know, you, you go through that process. So you're selling books, our Adventist books. And it's, it's a very good work. And very few are really engaged in it full time. Yes. Yeah, I should have used that word. Yes. Literature evangelist. Yes, absolutely. All right. Anything else, beloved? Did you, when you were literature evangelizing, was it just, did you go alone? Did you go together? Yes, we went in groups of six and seven. And then one person was on this side of the street and another person on this side of the street. And then we'll go along the way. When I first started, the first three days, I had somebody right by my side going to the door with me. The first, the first two or three days. But after the third day, they're like, you know, get out there. Do what you do. But it's, it's okay to go two by two. See, what's happened is um, the beloved have forgotten about relationships and canvassing. Um, because we've mega booked, mega book is real quick. You know, I go to the door, I sell you a book, and I disappear. I never see you again. But that's not how we do it at the mission. So when we sell you a book at the mission, we live in that area. So if I sell this person a book, I'm, I have their contact information. I'm going to either write them or go visit them and say, hey, how are you doing? How's that book coming along? Da, 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 da. Because the relationship is the reason why the literature evangelists will go to the end of time, not simply me dropping the book off. Although that's good. Selling that book and leaving that seed there to do what it does is actually an excellent thing. But if I, if I go to a door and this person has a real good relationship with me, and I never go back again. I mean, I've had that experience. I mean, these people, I know if I had stayed there, they would have been baptized. I know it. So I said at the mission, we're not really concerned about money. I don't have to go to report to a board and say, okay, guys, this year we sold $100,000 worth of books. Our goal this year is 150000 I don't care where you get your leaders from. Just get your leaders here, and we need to have 75 students. That's not what we're about. We want quality. We want quality contacts, and we want these people baptized. We want them in the church. We want them to stay in the church. And so we, we introduce the people to, to the truth, and then we stay with them through the process. Yeah, that's our goal. Praise God, sister. If, how many literature evangelists in this room right now? We got two? Three? <coughs> All right, so you have three. See those faces? You guys are responsible for her. <laughs> Make sure she makes it. The first couple of weeks are going to be hard for you. They are going to be hard. But it's going to definitely bring you out of your comfort zone. I used to be very shy, like, you know, very shy. Nobody believes I was shy, but I, I was very shy. Very, very shy. Canvassing changed me. It changed me. Any other questions, thoughts, feelings, concerns? Yes, brother. So the students that come to your school. Yes. It's a good question. Um, 
some missionaries come and they stay a, a whole year. Some missionaries come and they stay. They love the family. They love the family atmosphere. They love, they love what we're about. So they stay. They, and they, we, I cast this vision once a month. I go to this once a month. Guys, this is what we're doing. This is where we're headed. This is what we're established. I can't run everything. So where, where do you guys fit into this picture? If you're not part of this picture, you're going to develop this somewhere else because that's why you're here. All right? So where, how are you going to fit into this picture? How are you going to develop this picture somewhere else? So, yeah, we have some students that have been there for a year. We have others that have been there um, going on, too. My, my boy, Big Herb, he came in at, what, 580 pounds? He's down to 360 or something right now. Um, he's, he's, he's slimming up. And when that brother's done, I'm telling you, you're talking about present truth, nobody's going to be able to preach it better than him. Because he's, he will be a living example of what he's talking about. He used to be 720 pounds. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine a testimony when he stands up and talks about the health message? Nothing's going to stop that, brother. It's going to be amazing. I'm already excited, you know. But he's been with us about two years. Um, but it's, 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 it depends, you know. Um, well, it, it, it is growing. It's not that big yet. Um, but the goal is not to become so large that everyone stays in the same place. Too, um, too much salt in one in one place of your food it makes the food pretty bad, right? So the goal is to reduplicate this in other places, like outside of Los Angeles, you know, things like that. More than likely, yes. My my goal is to finish the work, so wherever I can do that. Mm -hmm. Any other questions? It's a lot, lot. It's a lot. All right. Let's have a word of prayer as we separate. Father in heaven, we thank you for the, your love and mercy that you've given us. And I just thank you, Father, for allowing me to share the little experience that I have um, with my friends here. As they are carrying forward a work already and some are entering into the work for the first time. I ask, Father, that you give us wisdom again that is beyond our ears love for souls that it be, go, goes beyond any natural human human love and father we want to be ready when you come and we want to bring as many people as possible so we pray these things in the name of jesus and claim the merits of his blood amen